You may be wondering where Pastor Dick is. He's over next door teaching junior church, and as my son said, as I told him this this week, that's great. That means we're going to have a snack, so, uh, and it's going to be a good one. So, uh, so that's, that's, that's where Pastor Dick is. He's over hanging out with the kids this morning. But uh, this morning, we're starting a new series, but before we do that, I thought maybe it'd be good just to take a moment and just kind of review what Mount Calvary Church is all about. Um, you know, you probably see this uh, logo up around different places and everything like that, but, but really, this is the mission of Mount Calvary Church, is to make more and better followers of Jesus Christ. And, and we get it from Acts 16.5, which says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they grew daily in numbers. And so really, as we think, why, why are we here? Why is Mount Calvary here? Well, first of all, we're here to, to grow spiritually. We're, we're hopefully that we're, we're strengthening each other in the faith, that, that we're encouraging each other to grow closer to God and to live for him. And so that's, uh, that's part of it. But the other part is, is so that we would grow numerically, uh, that we grow spiritually and we grow numerically. We see other people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we would grow in number. And so that's really what, uh, what our mission, what our purpose here at Mount Calvary Church is. And so, uh, so when you see that, I just wanted to, it's not just something that we put up, but that's what we believe, and hopefully that's what we're living out. And as we think about our mission and, and our purpose to make more and better followers of Jesus Christ, I believe that in order to accomplish this mission, we need to live pi squared lives. And you may have seen this uh, logo recently here, pi squared lives. And we talked a little bit about it. And this whole year, we're going to spend some of our, our Sunday morning sermon series focusing on what, a, what is a pi squared life? What, what does that mean? And that's basically a life that's praying, investing, and inviting. And so we t- our first, very first series of this year, we talked about prayer, and we're still teaching about prayer in Sunday school and how important prayer is. And it's not just, you know, God is uh, the Santa Claus in the sky, and we tell him all of our, all the things that we want, but, that, but we praise him and thank him, and, and, and we pray for others that they would come to know him. And so that's, that, that's what prayer, it's important that we're praying that, that those maybe in our family that don't know Christ or those, our friends who don't know Christ, that, that, that maybe God would give us an opportunity and he'd give us boldness to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so that's praying. And, and this morning we're going to talk about investing. And, and this series, we're going to talk about investing in others and the importance of investing in others. And, and this morning, we're specifically going to look at being a great neighbor. Now, I have a question for you this morning. Did you ever have a great neighbor? Did you ever have a great neighbor? I can remember there was this elderly couple living on my block, two houses down from me. They were Mr. and Mrs. Richter. And they were like the, the block grandparents. And for some reason, they took an interest in my life. And I have to admit, growing up, I was a Lego nerd. I just loved Legos. My family would go on vacation to the beach. I'd bring my Legos and stay in the house and build them. Uh, they're at the beach. I'm building Legos. And, and I, I was excited when we had a son, and Zachary likes Legos, because now I can build with him. So I'm a closet Lego nerd, so Lego nerd. So I just want, I want you to know that. But but I would build these spaceships, and I'd spend all this time building these spaceships, and I'd fly them over to the Richter's house. And I'm pretty sure they had no idea what a Lego was. But they'd invite me in, and they'd ask me, "Well, what does your spaceship do?" And 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 show it. And they, I'd show this all all to them, and they'd act. They were acting like they were really into this. 
And I'm sure that they weren't, but, but they, you know, they made it seem like every time I built something new, I could go show it to them, and they'd invite me in, and they'd ask me about it. They'd give me some, some, a snack and a drink, and, and I'd just spend some time with them. They were great neighbors, but I also had some not-so-great neighbors. Did you? Day and I moved into our first house, and, uh, and, and the people to the right of us had grown sons that lived with them that are about our age, and they had a reputation in our block. Matter of fact, some of the people that lived on the block a long time told me that when they were little kids or younger kids, they tried to set cars on fire on the block. Yeah, that, those are the kind of neighbors that they were. And uh, they were an interesting group of people. And I can never forget one Sunday morning, I hear this loud crash. And I get up and look out my window, and there was one of my neighbor's sons drove his car in the back of my car. Smash. Put it in reverse and drove away. And that woke me up that Sunday morning. So I remember going down the steps and going next door to, to his, his parents and, and knocking on the door and like, your son just ran into my car. My car didn't move. It was just sitting there. It was parked. And, and as I'm talking there, so, oh, I'm so sorry, their police scanner goes off. And on the police scanner, it tells about their son two blocks away getting in a fight with the other son. And the police were called to break up the fight. Yeah, those were not so great neighbors. So here's a question for you this morning. If I was to go and ask your neighbors, what kind of neighbor are you, what would they say? If you were to ask my neighbors, what kind of neighbor am I, what would they say? Well, this morning I'm going to look in Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40, and, and I want to look at what Jesus says about being a great neighbor. The central theme in the and the story of Scripture is that God loves us in spite of our sin. And in the divine economy, God's love seeks a reply. He wants our love to answer his and to multiply so that we love him and extend his kind of love to others. I read somewhere that this, this week that the love for equals is a human thing. The love for the less fortunate, a beautiful thing. The love for the more fortunate, a rare thing. And the love for enemies, a God thing. And so this morning, let's look at this greatest commandment here that we see in Scripture and, and what Jesus is really talking about. And it's important as we look at this passage of Scripture that I'm sure you looked at time and time again to know the setting. In chapters 21 and 22 of Matthew, we see that the religious leaders, the, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they had come to Jesus and they'd asked him a string of four questions. Uh, to try to test him, to try to put him on the spot, to try to discredit his ministry. They've asked him about his authority in, in chapter 21. In chapter 22, they asked about paying taxes. And right before this passage in chapter 22, they've asked him about the resurrection. And now in verses 34 and 35, we see this. It says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. I find it interesting, even though Jesus had passed the three previous rounds of testing from the religious leaders, they, he's answered all their questions well. The Pharisees, they must have been a little thick-headed. They thought, well, we'll give it another shot. You know, he was lucky those first three times, but we'll get him this time. And so they begin the questioning, and, and an expert in God's law asks Jesus this question found in verse 36. 
It says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? I think the motive behind this question is one of hostility. He was asking Jesus to try, kind of trap him and, and test him of his knowledge of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament that Moses wrote. So this is, this is kind of a trap and a test. After all, the Pharisees considered Moses to be the supreme hu- human figure in Scripture. He had communicated with God face to face. He had taken the engraved tablets of the law directly from God's hands. And so they're asking, hey, what part of Moses' law is the most important? They realized that God himself had announced and inscribed the Ten Commandments. So whatever command Jesus would have chosen, they could say he annulled or ignored the others. They were ready for a good argument with Jesus. And in essence, what are they really asking Jesus? They're asking Jesus to single out one of God's laws or commands as the greatest. And all throughout the law, there were 613 commands given. 248 positive and 365 prohibitive. And so what they're saying is, which command is at the center of all of those commands? They're putting Jesus on the spot. They're testing him. And the ironic thing is that the Pharisees spent much time debating the same question, and they couldn't even agree. But yet they're they're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to discredit his ministry. They're trying to say, well, you know what, he's blaspheming against God. And so that's the question. What is the greatest commandment? And we see Jesus responds by quoting two passages from the Old Testament that these religious leaders would have been very, very familiar with. He pulls from God's word two main commandments, and he gives us the double love command. Gives us the double love command. First, he says in verse 37, to love God. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, verse 37 here is a quote from Deuteronomy 6.5. Jesus is answering from that very familiar part of Scripture that the, the Jews call the Shema. It's the oral creed of Judaism. And in verses uh, 4 and 5 of Deuteronomy 6, uh, they would repeat that time and time again. Verse 4 was the theological statement that God is one. God is one. There is one true God. And verse 5 was the application of that statement, calling us to love the one true God. They recited Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 in the synagogue. Pious Jews wore it on their foreheads and on their, on their wrists and phylacteries. At home, it was hung on their walls. And it was said every morning and every evening. This was something that they were very, very familiar with. It's interesting that this, um, this exchange takes place in, in Luke chapter 10 and Mark 12. It talks about the same, the same exchange that's happening here. And in those uh, passages of Scripture, it says, Jesus commands us to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and he adds strength. And when we see that, we shouldn't be surprised or, or d- discouraged by those variations It's not a point of tension or disagreement, but these variations all communicate the same idea, that we should love God with all our capacity, 
with every part of our being. We love God with our heart and soul when we dedicate our convictions and our commitments to follow him. We love God with our mind when we dedicate our plans and our purposes to honor him. And we love God with our strength when we dedicate our physical bodies to serve him. John Calvin recognized that Jesus could have commanded that our first responsibility be to serve the Lord or to obey the Lord or to even fear the Lord. So why did Jesus answer with love the Lord? Calvin thought Jesus chose love for a reason. Jesus means by this that only the free service of our wills is acceptable to him. Ultimately, the man who comes to obey God will love him first. God will not have any forced obedience of men, but wishes that their service be free. And so God, through Jesus, communicates here we're supposed to love God because if we love God, if we truly love him with all that we are, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we will seek to honor him. We'll seek to obey him. We'll seek to serve him. That it all comes from that love relationship. And it's interesting in, in, verse 20, uh, in verse 37 here in chapter 22, the word all is repeated. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And that clearly communicates that God's wholehearted love cannot be answered with a half-hearted response from us. We're to love God with everything we are, with total devotion. The sum of the Old Testament and the New Testament is the command to love God more than anything or anyone else. The legal expert here asked Jesus a great question. He asked him what the greatest commandment was, and Jesus gave him an answer that it was impossible to argue with. They couldn't find fault with that answer. And that was a great answer. That was the answer, to love God with everything that you have. But it's interesting that Jesus didn't stop there, did he? He said we're to love God, and then he says we're supposed to love our neighbor. The second part flows naturally from the first. Jesus continues and completed his answer by quoting Leviticus 19.18. And it's interesting, as you read through Matthew, he quotes Leviticus 19.18 three times, more than any other passage from the Old Testament. And that tells us that, hey, this is important. If he repeats it time and time again, it's something that we should keep in mind, something that we should look at and listen to. In verse 39, it says, And the second is like it. Love the Lord, I mean, love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think we need to understand, hey, what's, what's a neighbor? Because you see, the Jews had their own idea of what a neighbor was. To a Jewish person, a neighbor, he was, someone, he was a fellow Jew, someone usually of the same social status. To them, that was your neighbor. Hey, it had to be a Jew, and it had to be kind of on the same social status. That was someone who my neighbor was, and I could love them. But we know from, from Luke and, and, and the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, Jesus uses that parable to kind of expand the definition of neighbor. The Samaritan was the good neighbor in that story, and he stopped to serve someone who wasn't even of the same nationality of him, someone who hated him. 
And so Jesus expands our, our idea of neighbor to, to anyone that we come in contact with, even if they're a different race or different nationality. They're our neighbor. We're supposed to love them and care for them. But today, I just want to focus on just a small section of our neighbors. And those are those who we live closest to and work closest with. These individuals are our greatest opportunity to invest in. But if we're honest, they're also our greatest occasion for irritation. They're our greatest opportunity for investment, and they're our greatest opportunity to be irritated, to be inconvenienced. But the people that we live closest to or work closest to, let's look at those neighbors this morning. And Jesus here says, hey, we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves." And basically, he's saying, you know what, we're to, we're to attend to our neighbor's good like we attend to our own good. We're to attend to our neighbor's good like we attend to our own good. We all have something in common here this morning. We're all born with the same human trait. We love ourselves. You might say, well, you don't know me, but the reality is we do love ourselves. We have a desire for, for self-preservation and self-fulfillment. Whether or not you like yourself, that's a different story. But we all love ourselves, and we all want to survive. We all want to, to find fulfillment and, and purpose in life. And so we're all born with that. And here Jesus says, as you love yourself, so love your neighbor. So as you long for food when you're hungry, so long to feed your neighbor when they're hungry. As you seek to be safe and secure from danger, seek the comfort and security of your neighbor. As you seek out meaningful friendships, so be a friend to your neighbor, and so on and so forth. In your notes, I put a quote from John Piper. It said, make your self-seeking the measure of your self-giving. It's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? Make yourself seeking the measure of your self-giving. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, the word as is very radical. That's a big word, as. It means if you're energetic in pursuing your own happiness, be energetic in pursuing the happiness of your neighbor. In other words, Jesus is saying here, he's not just saying seek for our neighbors the same thing we seek for ourselves, but he says seek them in the same way with the same zeal, with the same energy, with the same creativity, with the same persistence. Care for your neighbors the way that you care for yourself. Have that kind of heart for them. And that's hard, isn't it? That's not easy. But that's what Jesus is saying. And he goes on and says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. All the other commands of Jesus can find, uh, find the foundation in these two commands. We need to love God and then love our neighbors. Love for God and others should be the motive for all that we do. It should be the organizing principle of every action in our lives. And Dan Doriani's commentary on Matthew, he had this to say about this passage, what I thought was very interesting. He says, so while Jesus' answer was based on two well-known and often cited texts from the Torah, he was the first in history to affirm that the love for God and a love for people are indivisible. He's the first to say that the Shema must be complemented 
and completed by a love for one's neighbor. So there is a distinction between the two love commands, but not a division. The first command is greater than the second, yet the first cannot be met unless the second is accomplished. We can't truly love God the way that he wants us to if we don't love our neighbors like he wants us to. We can't do that. The love of God can't reign in our hearts without the love of our neighbors being recognized in our lives. Jesus said a great neighbor loves God and demonstrates that love by taking a genuine interest in, having a caring concern for, and displaying kind actions to our neighbors. God wants us to be great neighbors. He wants us to love our neighbors like we love ourselves. So the question this morning that I think we all need to ask ourselves is, are we a great neighbor? And if I'm honest... I'm not such a great neighbor. Dana is a lot better of a neighbor than I am. I don't recognize what's going on in my neighborhood. I don't think a whole lot about my neighbors, or, or I'm kind of focused on what I have to do and what I need to get done, and, and I don't often see those opportunities. But is it a beautiful day in your neighborhood? I mean, is it? I read this article this week about some pastors in Denver. In 2009, some pastors in Denver began to meet together to pray and plan how they could work together to better serve their community. They recognized there was a lot of potential problems, at-risk kids, run-down housing, child hunger, drug and alcohol abuse, loneliness, neglect of elderly shut-ins, and so on. The list was long. And they invited the local mayor to one of their meetings for the purpose of asking him one question— How can the churches best work together to serve the city? And the mayor made a profound statement, and this is what he said. The majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. The mayor said oftentimes people would identify problems and come to him asking to start a program to address the issue. He, however, believed that government programs aren't always the most effective way to address social issues. He said relationships are often more effective than programs because they're organic and ongoing. Example, how about a dad in the neighborhood take an interest in one of those at-risk kids and start to care and mentor them for the kid on the block? And every time he sees them, Just, hey, you know what? Come on over. Let's hang out. How's it going? Take an interest in his life. Relationships are organic and ongoing. In essence, the mayor answered the question of how to best serve the city by saying that the churches should encourage their people to obey Jesus and live out the great commandment. At another meeting of these pastors, the assistant city manager came to talk about the reasons why neighboring matters. And in that meeting, she made a shocking statement saying this, From the city's perspective, there isn't a noticeable difference in how Christians and non-Christians neighbor in our community. There's no difference. At that moment, the pastors realized something was wrong, that their congregations weren't being great neighbors, and that's not how Jesus wanted them to be. The mayor was right, but more importantly, Jesus was right. Neighboring relationships matter. They matter. 
And I know some of you are sitting here and saying, well, you know what, hey, that's not, that's them, it's not me. Well, this morning I thought we'd take a little exercise here. If you have your notes, pull them out here. And you'll see that, uh, that diagram on your notes of nine boxes. The middle box is your house. That represents your house. The other boxes are the eight houses closest to you. Now, I realize that every neighborhood may not look exactly like that, but think about the eight houses closest to you. I want to encourage you just to take a few moments here and do two things in each box. Number one, write down the names of the people who live in those eight houses closest to you. See if you can write down their names. And number two, then write out some relevant information about them, gathered from conversation, not observation. You have to figure out that from, from, from conversation, not just by watching them. Like, what do they do? What are their hobbies or interests? Or, or maybe even, what are their spiritual beliefs? So I just want you to take a few moments. We have, we have a little theme music here for you as you do this, but to try to fill that out. Because if we don't do it now, you won't do it when you get home. So here, take a few moments and fill that out. Well, hopefully you got off to a good start. And, and as you've been doing this, what does this reveal about our neighboring? What does it tell us about us as a neighbor? Interesting, as, as they've administered this, this uh, kind of test, about 10% of people can complete task one with all eight homes, know their names. 10% of people who've done this. And only 3% of people can complete task two and, and add some relevant information about those people. It's not very good, is it? And if you didn't do well on exercise one, like I wouldn't do very well, we need to start by learning our neighbor's names. It has to start there. And you might be saying, well, you know what? I, I've lived next to our neighbors for a really long time. And even though I don't know their names, they even may know my name, and that's going to be awkward. Or, uh, you know, we've lived here so long to go up to them and say, hi, my name's Jonathan. Nice to meet you. And they're like, yeah, you live across the street. I see you every day. Uh, that might be awkward, but you know what? You got to start somewhere. Someone has to break the ice, and why not you? And if they're really honest, they probably don't remember your name either. But you have to start somewhere. God wants us to love our neighbors, and this I do know about love. To love someone is actually helpful to know their name. That helps. Pretty important. Start with that. Got to know their name. But the problem is that too many of us have invisible neighbors. And that's me. I got invisible neighbors. I've never actually met them, but I know they exist. I, ca I, caught, I catch glimpses of them in the neighborhood by signs of life around their house. And, and from those glimpses, it's easy to draw negative, negative opinions about them. An unkept yard, a slew of tattoos or piercing, strange clothing or a weird haircut or loud music or fast driving or, or lots of loud arguments. From all of those things, from those little glimpses, it's easy to come to a bad opinion of people. And those assumptions can keep us from befriending them. Those little glimpses can keep us from going the extra mile trying to get to know them. 
And the reality is probably from those little glimpses, we don't have the whole story. We don't really know who they are and what they're about. But what if things could be different? What if we took the time to get to know the people that lived around us, that, that, that work around us, that we even go to school around us that we don't interact with? What if we took the time to get to know them? What if we discovered they're not so scary after all? If we took the time to get to know them, we'd realize that at the end of the day, they long for a place to belong. They long for meaningful relationships. They long to be accepted and cared for. What if we actually practiced the great commandment with our actual neighbors? To see, the problem is that we've, we've turned this great commandment into a nice little saying that hangs in our houses and we wear those t-shirts, but it's not evident in our lives. It's not evident in the way we live our lives. It's not evident in the way that I live my life with my neighbors. Jesus has given us a practical plan that has the potential to positively change people's lives and the people that live closest to us. And about two weeks ago, I heard Jack Winters share about, a hu- about how a loving relationship made a huge impact in his family's life. If you were at Ed Hickson's funeral, you heard it too. He shared this thoughts about the Hicksons. This is Jack talking. Don't think one small act of kindness or well-doing doesn't have a lasting effect or result. Galatians 6, 9, and 10 says, Let us not become weary in doing good. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. We moved to Lancaster County in 1971 to a little village by Reams on Mill Road. I knew only one person in the area, and he located a nice home for my family to rent. Gene knew no one. Three houses down lived the Hicksons, who took the opportunity and stepped down and befriended us eventually inviting us to attend Mount Calvary Church. This church became our home, and we developed many precious friendships. All four of our children and eight of our 15 grandchildren have had the opportunity to attend Mount Calvary Christian School. All of this happened because to make a friend, you need to be a friend. That's the Hickson family. We thank God for their example and taking the opportunity to live out Galatians 6.10. I sat with Jack this week on Wednesday night, and I was talking to him about this story, and, and he was sharing to me that he wasn't a believer when he moved to Elizabethtown. And the fact that he wasn't a believer and, and he wasn't living his life for God didn't impact the Hickson's love and concern and care for him. They didn't judge him. They didn't hold that against him. They continued to reach out to him. And it kind of reminds me of what Pastor Dick said last week in his sermon Our attitude toward the world should be this, love rather than hate, witness rather than condemn, show mercy rather than judgment, show compassion rather than contempt. And I think our attitude towards our neighbors should be the same way too, don't you? See, neighboring matters. It does. Being the neighbor that God wants us to be can make a huge difference in people's lives. In your bulletin, you got a little card this week. Just kind of reminding us what a pi-squared life is and and that we should be really looking to live a pi-squared life. And on the back, we ask you to take some time and make a list. 
Make a list of people that you're praying for, that you're, you're investing in, and, and hopefully that you're going to invite. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the year. But, uh, but you've got to start somewhere. And my hope and my prayer is that as we think about these people on our list, it could be family members or a friend or a coworker. but you know what? I hope we have some neighbors on these lists. Neighbors that don't know Jesus. Neighbors that need to know about his love and care. And, and it was no, I was talking to Jack, it was no accident that Jack's family moved three doors down from the Hicksons. God had that all under control, and he planned that out. And you know what? It's no accident that you're living the same place that you're living right now, that you have the neighbors that you have. God has put you there for a reason, and maybe there are some other people around you that need to know our Savior, Jesus Christ, and they'll never maybe step in this door of this church on their own, but maybe God wants you to be his hands and feet, his mouthpiece, reaching out into their lives and loving them with his love. And maybe because of that, God will give you an opportunity not only to show those actions of love, but speak of the love you have for God and share how they could have a relationship with him too. But in order to do that, we got to care about them. In order to do that, we got to take time to invest in them. In order to do that, we need to stop being the invisible neighbor and stop looking at them, uh, just watching them as they drive by and never making that first movement to get to know them. And in today's society, it's harder than ever. We live in the, you know, the, the garage door society. You see your neighbors pull out of the garage in the morning and you see them pull in at night. That's about all the time you see them. It's going to take some effort but man, neighboring matters. Ask Jack Winters if neighboring matters. He'll tell you it does. And it can matter in your neighborhood. It can matter in my neighborhood. It's just a matter of are we going to be the neighbor God wants us to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning to look into your word and be challenged by what it means to be a good neighbor, to be the neighbor that you want us to be, Lord. You know that... You, that you've communicated clearly to us this morning, that you want us to love you with all our hearts, and you want us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to care about them so much like we care about ourselves, to, uh, to show that love. And, and Lord, you know so many times I fail in being a good neighbor because I got so many other things I need to do. And I missed the opportunity that's right there in my backyard. Lord, if we want to make a difference for you in this community, one of the ways we can do that is even not meeting here. But it's as we leave here, as we go home to the neighborhoods that you've placed us in, to live out our faith and to love our neighbors the way you desire us to. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to seize those opportunities. Help us to force opportunities to show that we care. To invest in the people that God has placed directly around us. And help us not to miss the opportunity. 
In Jesus' name, amen. I encourage you to take this home, and if you didn't do so well on it, work on it. Hang it on your refrigerator. And I know it's winter, and I know it's hard, but uh, it's going to get warmer, right? And you'll probably start to see some more of your neighbors, but hey, it's still winter, and maybe even as the snow comes, maybe in the next few days, you can be a good neighbor and help them shovel. If we really decide to follow Jesus, it means that we're committed to being great neighbors, to love them like we love ourselves, to share God's love with them by the way we live our lives. And it's my prayer, my hope that as we walk out of these doors, as I walk out of these doors, this week I'm committed to be a better neighbor, that you're committed to being a better neighbor, that we look for those opportunities to do good and take it, because we may not get it again, to build those relationships and to meet some people and just love them with God's love. That's my hope and my prayer. Thank you so much for being here this morning. I know they said snow is coming, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll, we're, we're keeping an eye on about tonight. And if we're going to cancel, we'll, uh, we'll put it on all the, uh, the normal places we do on the radio and, and the TV. And uh, for some reason, our website's down, so I'm not sure it's going to be up for that or not. I've got to check on that this afternoon. But uh, uh, we're hoping to have it, but with the weather, we're not sure. So keep a lookout on, on the normal radio stations and TV where we advertise. But again, thank you so much for being here. Go this week and be a great neighbor. We'll see you next week.